the world changes. Mm -hmm. And so being prepared, you know, one of the big things that we focus on is from a financial perspective. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mick Koshovsky, and welcome to another Deep Dive Thursday edition of That Remote Life Podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today, we are joined by a return guest, Andrew Henderson from Nomad Capitalist, who was first on the show way back on episode 31. Andrew is an offshore banking expert and helps high net worth individuals acquire dual citizenships and go where they're treated best. I wanted to have Andrew back on the podcast for a Deep Dive Thursday edition to go more in depth on a topic that I think is very important and that is dual citizenships. And in this conversation, you will hear why Andrew and I think having a dual citizenship is so important the easiest way to get your first, second citizenship along with a few different ways to do that and some of the best countries to get those second citizenships from. Now, before we jump into the interview, I do want to take a second and tell you about my newest project, Nomad Weekly. There is so much going on in the digital nomad and location-independent entrepreneurship world that it can be tough to stay informed. And because of that, I started Nomad Weekly, the first ever The Hustle Style weekly newsletter for digital nomads and global citizens. Because of that, I started Nomad Weekly, the first ever The Hustle Style weekly newsletter for digital nomads and global citizens. Every Monday morning, you will receive an entertaining email that brings you the most important things you need to know to get your week started. Things like global news curated specifically for global citizens like yourself, information about up-and-coming events and conferences, travel information and updates, reviews of products and services, crypto and financial overviews, and even original articles written by our own writers. If you're a digital nomad or a location-dependent entrepreneur, this is the email you need every week to stay in the know. And best of all, it's completely free. So if that sounds like your cup of tea and you want to give Nomad Weekly a try, head on over to nomadweekly.news and sign up. All right, guys, without further ado, uh, as always, you can find the full show notes for this episode over at thatremotelife.com forward slash episode 77. So let's uh, go ahead and dive into this awesome conversation with Andrew Henderson. All right, well, Andrew, welcome back to the show, man. It's uh, it's nice to have you back on. You were on the show back on episode thirty-one, so it's been uh, it's been a little bit. How are you doing? Hey, great, great to be with you. Again. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, I know. Again, and you're in Malaysia this time, which is exciting. I'm in Cincinnati, so it's it's fun to reconnect. But uh, yeah, I mean, I wanted to have you back on to talk about uh, dual citizenships and to really kind of go into that topic a little bit more for people who don't know you. This is kind of like your area of expertise. Uh, they can go back and listen to episode 31 to kind of get a little bit more about your backstory. But this being a deep dive Thursday, we're just kind of like going to get right into it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think personally wanted to talk with you about dual citizenships, 
why people should get them because I think it's a really important topic. It's something that not a lot of people, um, you know, is it's not something that a lot of people think about, especially a lot of people that are Americans or are from a Western part of the world. Like, when did you first get interested in this topic and why did you get interested in it? You know, it's, uh, I suppose my entire life I've thought about it. Because I remember uh, being you know, eight, nine years old and studying ancestry. And so my, I always identify with my mother's side. She was uh, part Norwegian, part Lithuanian. And at the time, you know, 1992, like, I think I was not 93, you know, Lithuanian seems a little, that seems a little out there. I'm like, Norwegian, that's the one for me. And I was reading about it. It's like, oh, how to become a citizen? Like, why, did, why are they citizens? Like, how does it work? And then I had my first of three sisters adopted um, in 1994. And uh, they were from Russia. Each of my adopted sisters are from Russia. And so it's like, oh, they have Russian passports and that's different. And then they become naturalized. So it's something that I grew up around. Um, but I think I first started looking at it when I began my you know, travels all around the world and, and realizing that a U.S. citizenship in many ways, um, for in addition to the ways where it's bad right now, but it, it had some disadvantages for as, as good as people in the United States think it is, it had its share of disadvantages for its financial, regulatory, uh, et cetera. Yeah, I am. Um... So for me, it's always been something that I, I guess I had on the horizon as something that was important because being Bulgarian, you know, I like my birth citizenship is a Bulgarian one. And I always wanted to become, I always want to move to the United States to get an American citizenship. Um, and so like, I think for me, one of the really important things about getting a dual citizenship is, you know, my family background, you know, Bulgaria was a communist country for a long time. Uh, it wasn't exactly the best place to be. And something that I realized at a very early age was that had my parents, or I'm guessing my grandparents, most likely, had they had dual citizenship, when things started going bad, they could have gotten out. And, yeah. you know, it's a very common story of Bulgarians who didn't have a way out. They didn't have a citizenship elsewhere. And so what happened was that when there was a new regime came in that was oppressive, they needed to, you know, they didn't have a way out. They had to escape, they had to run away, you know, and, uh, and, and it was a very difficult time for a lot of people. And so for me, I've always known how important it is to have a dual citizenship. Uh, and especially now, like, I think for a lot of Americans, they don't really need to think about it, I think, because an American citizenship is usually seen as being pretty strong. You kind of have like a free, you know, route to go to anywhere. But now we're seeing the coronavirus now. <laughs> right, right, right. And it's like, you know, and it's something that like I've been talking about with my fiance is like, we're kind of done being in the US, like we want to go to Europe, but she can't get in. You know, I can't because I have dual citizenship, but she can't. And so we know the first thing that when we get married, what's happening is she's, you know, applying for that Bulgarian citizenship. And so, yeah, I think it's really important to have dual citizenship for those reasons. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, we've had people, we've helped become Bulgarian, uh, we're working on Romanian. Uh, we're working on Estonian right now. Those are all going very well. We've had some Hungarians. And so um, we've had a, a people who, who I think we're going to start working in Polish pretty soon again. Um, you know, these are countries that people were getting away from not so long ago. And now most of them are in the U.S. I think one of them is in Canada. And they're saying, well, you know, let's have that one as the option to go back because now these countries are in the European Union. So if you want to go live in France or Portugal or just bounce around or, or travel around the world, you know, it's a very good passport. And uh, as, as you said, you know, for years, people in the Western world told me, 
you know, why do we need a second passport? That's the province of the Arabs and the Chinese and the Russians, and those are the ones who buy all these economic citizenships where you make a donation and you get a citizenship very quickly because they need to travel. Well, now, I mean, look at it. Not only has a U.S. passport been reduced to where you can go to something like 25 countries. I mean, 25 countries. Uh, you can go, by the way, if the Balkans are open to you um, under certain circumstances. You can go to like Serbia. You can do worse than Serbia. But, you know, uh, in many cases, we're seeing people where uh, they won't even let their citizens out. So there's a whole other conversation of how I want to live in a country where I'm not a citizen because they generally tend to give you more flexibility. You know, I can live in Malaysia as a non-citizen. And if I want to leave, I can leave. And they let me do what I want. Um, and so I think that just the ability to go somewhere else, in some cases, when you've said, well, hey, I'm going to my country of permanent residence or my country of citizenship, that's been the path to get out. And as you said, history has shown that sometimes you do need to get out. Um, you do need to get in other places. And what we also talk about is there's financial benefits, business benefits, investment benefits to being able to not only leave your country, but just to have a second citizenship in the first place. Yeah. So what are some of those places? I mean, I know that you mentioned a couple of countries there, but if somebody is American, for example, and has a location dependent income, what are some of the places that you think they should look at uh, that, that are not super difficult to get into uh, to kind of like start the citizenship process from, and that would bring a number of benefits. So for example, one of the benefits for me is I love Europe. I want to spend a lot of time in Europe. So for me, it's a good idea to have a European citizenship, right? Uh, so what are some of those uh, locations that you think uh, Americans can kind of look at first? Well, I understand my perspective generally comes from, you know, the people that we work with, which is you make half a million dollars a year or more, or you have a net worth of a million dollars or more. And so I'm generally skipping over the move to France and hang out for five years and eat a few baguettes mm -hmm. and learn French and become French. I mean, that, that is a path. Let's talk about the paths to become a citizen. The first path that you mentioned already was citizenship by descent. You have a parent a great uh, a grandparent, sometimes a great grandparent that had citizenship or was entitled to citizenship. People often don't think about this, you know, and I had one gentleman recently, he moved from, uh, from uh, your part of the world over to Canada for a while back in the 70s, then went back to the US. You know, he has a situation where his kids are entitled to that Canadian citizenship because they were born in the right time, right? So look at your family tree, where are you qualified? The next way you can become a citizen is through what's called naturalization. Now, there's two ways to do this. We often focus on what I call paper residence, which is where you're kind of using an arbitrage of uh, putting in the time in the country as a resident on paper, i.e. you go, you do whatever the qualifying thing is to become a temporary resident or a permanent resident of the country. You get your residence passed, but they are not explicit in necessarily how long you need to stay there in order to qualify for citizenship after X number of years. Whereas a country like the United States, you get a green card, you can work towards citizenship. You better be there 10, 11 months a year, UK, Ireland, Australia, all the same. You go to some of these more far-flung countries, we don't always talk about them because whenever they become popular, everyone starts going there. There was a big scandal in Paraguay with this a number of years ago because everybody, I, mean, I must, I literally think I've gotten 10,000 emails from South Asians uh, saying, fast, easy, cheap, Paraguay. It was ruined. But if you can go find a place where the law is, you must have a residence permit for five years. I'll just give you one example. I'm married to an Armenian, so this is a kind of an interesting one. You can't really easily duplicate, right? But, you know, after two years uh, of being a resident, I can go and I can apply for citizenship if I want, right? So I don't have to live there, but I have to have the residence permit. Now, if you want to live there, you do open up more countries. So a country like Mexico, for example, not a bad place to live for an Americans, right next door, close to the U.S., 
you can put in less time up front and then more time in a couple of years leading up to the naturalization become naturalized. Okay, so that's one path. And then the next path would be by investment. And so this is, um, you know, I'm going to make a donation. I do this to St. Lucia, there's about five Caribbean islands, there's a number of others in Europe, South Pacific that do this, about 12 programs in total. You make a donation, you buy some overpriced real estate, you know, something like that. You get a passport generally in a matter of months. Um, and so that's- So you don't even have to- and then you don't even have to go over a residency if, if you do something like that. If, if you buy a large property or something, you just get a passport up front. Yeah. So, I mean, in my case, I did the St. Lucia program and uh, it's a number of years ago. And you just send them the money. Now, I would like to go to St. Lucia, but I've been traveling all around. It's a little tough to get to if you're not uh, flying through London or through the U.S. And so I keep just putting it off. But no, I've never uh, I've never been there. You don't have to go there. They basically, you literally all do it for the mail. You, you get a a, you know, a FedEx envelope one day and there's your passport. The way that's a bit more focused for like a better quality passport is I had someone, for example, he sold a huge hotel business in uh, the US and he wanted to go invest. He had like a nine figure you know, sale proceeds. And we found a country in the European Union where they were looking for people to build hotels in this kind of up and coming resort area. And they said, hey, if you build a hotel and it meets this criteria and you hire, you know, 50 workers and blah, 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 blah. The minister of the economy will sign off on, on, you know, let's give this guy citizenship under the exceptional provision. That'll go on to the prime minister. He'll just rubber stamp whatever the minister of the economy says because he trusts him. And that's kind of a unique way for some people to get citizenship. So there's lots of different ways to do it is the point. Yeah, I think for most people listening, the easiest place would be if they do have descent from somewhere, right? So if they are, their grandparents are from somewhere. What are some of the countries that, because I know Ireland was big on that and then they kind yeah. of pulled back on it, right? They kind of were like, that's too much or, or something like that. So what are some of the countries right now that uh, you think are, are good places that have good programs that are easy to kind of acquire citizenship through? Well, citizenship by descent, it is the probably the best way to do it because it's pretty cheap. Right. And you don't have to put in the time. So you're, you're getting a low price and you're getting low time commitment. Right. Um, UK and Ireland is still pretty good. If we're talking mm -hmm. about, you know, parents, generally in the case of the UK, there's a weird loophole for a grandparent. Uh, Ireland, you can still do grandparents. If your grandparents themselves were very thoughtful and they put you in the birth register, you can go back three generations. I've never seen anyone else think do that. Um, but those are pretty straightforward. The rest of them, you know, I'll tell you what, I've been, uh, I just got a document the other day from Lithuania uh, or from my my uh, grandfather whose parents were Lithuanian. And I've been working on this for four years. Finally, this document appears. My mother sends me this document. She's going through or one of her relatives sent it to her. So it literally, in many cases, outside of those you know, Anglo countries or in Ireland, I guess you don't want to call it an Anglo country, but you know, it comes down to you're, you're going to be looking at archives. You're going to be looking in churches that may have been burned down for a baptism certificate. I mean, you're, you're really looking for a lot of stuff. And I see so many people that either one of two things, they miss it by like a year. So I had a guy the other day, you know, when was your father naturalized from? I forget where he was from. Like a year before the guy was born. And then at that time, they didn't have dual citizenship back in the 50s or whatever. So, I mean, you know, it's just you lost the old one. Now you have American and, you know, you're out. Um, and then the other situation is you're, you're tracking down documents, which is the case of, in my personal case. Um, so it's just very difficult. It's not particularly fast in many cases. So I, don't, I won't say any of them are easy. The process is easy once you gather all those documents, but mm. it can also be very bureaucratic and say, yeah, you know what? Like, so, you know, the first thing my team said when I got this birth certificate, where's Lithuania? 
<laughs> they may not accept that, she said. They're like, that may be the end of you. That some guy in you know 1922 wrote Lithuania. Some bureaucrat could literally say, we don't know what is this Lithuania. So you, you go to Lithuania, get citizenship. So, I mean, that's what happens sometimes. So it has to be kind of a fun adventure. And I have a couple of people right now because I have people coming right now with this whole coronavirus thing and they're worried about their freedom and they're worried about the changing everything in their country. And they're saying, I have one guy, he qualifies for three of these potentially, but he knows it's gonna take years. And he says, I don't wanna wait years to be protected. So I'm gonna go and spend the money now and whatever we accumulate along the road, you know, three years from now, it's like picking up pennies. Mm. Yeah, I think that's one of the things with, um... And I've heard you say this before as well, is like, you don't want to wait until you need it, right? It's it's something you right. want to prepare beforehand so that when you do need it, like right now, right? It's, you can't, if you're now experiencing from coronavirus that you can't leave and you can't go anywhere, now's not the time to start this. It's, it's like an insurance you, policy. I mean, right. you don't you don't wait until uh, you crash the car uh, to, to get an insurance policy. Now, to, just to answer your earlier question, most people in the United States, they're going to qualify, they're going to have a European country. So, I mean, most European countries have some program. Again, like the UK generally only goes back one generation. Some of them like Hungary or Italy go back, you know, three generations, or in my case, Lithuania, three generations. Some of them will say, you know, after 1922 or something. Um, you know, Mexico works. We were helping a guy with Mexico. Um, I mean, I guess you could do Vietnam or something. I don't know how this would be useful it is, although maybe in the coming years. Um, so some of the South American countries, or I guess a lot of the South American countries uh, offer it, uh, European countries, I think Asia is much more tough. Obviously, the Gulf region, the Middle East, it's generally, you know, not like only from your father and a lot of mm-hmm. stuff there. So, I mean, parents, pretty much, I would say most countries, grandparents have got a decent number of European countries that'll do it. And by the way, if you happen to be uh, Jewish, then you know, Israel is an option, and that's not necessarily tied to being Israeli in your past, but mm-hmm. just tied to being Jewish. Right. So, I mean, I think what we're gathering here is that like the very first place to start, if this is a topic that's interesting to you, if this is something that you want to do, the very first place to look at is like, look at your you know background. Do you have parents yep. that maybe you can get citizenship from? Like, what is their background and explore the citizenship through descent uh, programs that they offer? So what happens if, that's not really an option. Maybe it's too far back. Maybe the countries that you could get are not ones that you're interested in. What are some of the first places that, you know, you would look at if you have to like buy, you know, go through some of these investments and what are the numbers? Like, like how much money do you need to really realistically consider buying quote unquote a citizenship? Well, you know, I remember somebody told me, they get, somebody got upset with me a number of years ago when I went to the St. Lucia process and they, and they said, uh, it's not fair that a guy could just send $100,000 and get citizenship. I said, well, hold on a second. Your family, you know, your mother was an immigrant, um, didn't make a lot of money. You get to live there. You get to use all the services in the United States, probably paid very little in tax, and you got citizenship five, six years later. That's obviously a lot cheaper. Now, you know, if you make a million dollars a year and you move to the United States while you're getting citizenship and you're paying $500,000 in taxes, suddenly St. Lucia for 100 grand seems a lot cheaper than $2.5 million, right? Um, so what I would say is there are relatively easy options in two places, Europe and South America. Asia is not going to work. The Middle East is not going to work. Africa, by and large, I means it's rather difficult to the extent that you'd even want some of those. Um, 
And so you know, there are freelancer visas in Europe. France has one. You don't have to make a lot of money. I think in many cases, they're like 18 or 20,000 euros. You can go and you can live there. And so now you're in, right? And so now if you commit to spending the time there, it might be six months in some countries, nine months in some countries. Um, I think a lot of the countries in mainland Europe are more like six months, whereas Ireland and UK are more demanding. But if you put in the time, and with that, they're going to say, okay, well, now you're our taxpayer. So you've got to pay tax on your worldwide income and any companies you have. If you've got a job, if you're a freelancer, if you've got a company in Hong Kong, whatever, it's all on the table. It's all going home to, to uh, President Macron. Uh, but that may be a good deal for you um, because you can kind of pay it over time, right? Um, it used to be you could just go to Belgium and you could just get on a payroll somewhere and you just, you know, pay 15, 20,000 euros a year in taxes. You don't have to be there all the time. And they would eventually make you a citizen. It made it a little bit tougher now. What's interesting for people who are maybe more remote and who don't want as much of the tax burden is you can go to South America and they are, there's a lot of good residence programs down there. Um, a lot of them are, are relatively open uh, and they're more income based as well. So unlike Asia, where they want to see, hey, do you have half a million dollars in the bank? Uh, there it might be, do you have $1,500 a month going into your bank account? You may not even need to bring it into the country. And so um, those countries may be a bit more flexible Obviously, you know, European passports are very desirable, but I also think a lot of the South American passports are very desirable. So those are the two parts of the world I would look at. And I would ask myself, what is my income and how am I willing to pay? Because you always pay. Most people pay for citizenship with their time. They put boots on the ground. But if you're willing to make an investment in a country that can speed things up or reduce the requirements. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the Belgian citizenship uh, getting a little bit more difficult because my cousin was actually just going through the process of, you know, he's Bulgarian, was living in Belgium for quite a while, and he was going through the process of getting getting a Belgian citizenship. And I remember it wasn't super easy. It was, it was quite a struggle. Um, but I've never heard of, you mentioned a freelancer visa. I don't mm. know if I've heard that before. What is that? Because I think that might sound really attractive to a lot of people. Well, it's a lot of countries in Europe. I know France has one. Um, a number of countries have where you get just like a self-sufficiency visa. Hungary, I think, has one. Um, you just show you have income to support yourself and you can, they'll let you right in. And I think it's probably more biased towards Westerners. That is the thing about some of these second passport programs. I actually made a video on my YouTube channel, made best second passport strategy for Westerners. And I also made one about, you know, Indians and South Asians. And the point that I made is, uh, some of these countries, not, not all of Europe, but some of these countries, you know, they are more strict on you if you're not in a Western country. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of a but bias, I guess. There certainly is. Now, you know, what you could do is you could also look at something like a golden visa program um, where you're making an investment. You know, Portugal has one of the most common ones, but a lot of countries in Europe have one now where, you know, you put 350,000 euros or 500,000 euros or 250,000 euros into property. And then the requirement, because you're investing, because now you're not just a freelancer. Now the requirement to be in the country goes down dramatically, which makes tax planning a lot easier. Okay. Um, and which also makes, uh, uh, you know, your actual physical commitment much lower. And so you can decide how much time you want to spend in the country every year. And so not all those lead to citizenship. Um, like Greeks, I think Greece is very difficult to lead to citizenship. For example, Latvia is still want to live there nine months a year. But like a Portugal, for example, you invest the money, you don't have to live there that long. You live there about two weeks a year. Yeah, I think because uh, we were looking into this, obviously, for my fiance with Bulgaria, and I think with like Bulgaria, you are, if I'm not mistaken, 
you are required to live a certain amount of time every year in there to get the citizenship. And I, I think it was like three to six months or some of that of the They're year. They're in Bulgaria. They, you know, Bulgaria, Greece, that whole region, they really like naturalizing people who are like ethnically from the region. That's the, historically mm. what's been the case. Um, so if you're married, I think that probably puts you a little bit better, better situation. But yeah, I mean, in most cases, you can't just get married and then get the citizenship almost immediately. Uh, I know we've helped some folks who have married French citizens, and there's a whole procedure to go through where you don't have to necessarily live in France, but you have to do a bunch of other things to get it. And so that's actually a very interesting way to get a very good citizenship. But um, we've done one or two Bulgarian cases. I don't know the requirements, but I, I generally think you do need to put some time in. They don't just, hey, you're married, here you go. Um, countries have done that in the past. Cape Verde still does. Most of them have gotten rid of the process. So something else that's kind of come out recently because of COVID, um, there have been, you know, a number of countries discussing kind of like remote worker visas. I know mm -hmm. Barbados did officially announce that they're launching one for a year. Uh, I know that uh, Estonia, I believe, has also kind of like just released something that they will be doing that. Is there something where, or do you expect maybe that this is going to be something that you can use almost as a first step? So for example, you go and you get the 12 month visa to a Barbados, for example, and then kind of ride that into getting some sort of citizenship. You know, I don't think we have the details yet. I'm a little skeptical that that would be the case. I think this is a great way for them to bring people in. Keep in mind, I mean, Estonia, you can become a citizen generally for eight years and fall in Estonia. Who's learning Estonian? Um, you also have to live there. And so that their taxes aren't outrageous. But I mean, for me, the idea of living in Estonia, or even maybe you sneak around a little bit, the idea of living in Estonia the majority of the year, it's cold, there's not a lot to do. It's an Estonian. I mean, eight years of that, I mean, it's just not the best uh, deal. Barbados citizenship is also not that, that fast. You know, generally what we find is it's a real art that we try and perfect with our clientele of finding tax-friendly places that have very efficient immigration programs. They often don't go hand in hand. So the reason I say that I think I'm skeptical is I look at like the Thai elite visa program in Thailand. Now again, in Asia, you're generally not gonna get a citizenship, but they didn't even really consider the Thai elite visa program as a formal residence program. It's just like, hey, it's basically a five-year or a 10-year tourist visa. Well, if you're on a tourist visa, you're not qualifying for citizenship. And so I'm thinking that the way that these countries are perhaps going to code any of these new you know, remote worker visas is we plan on you being here for a year and then you're gonna go. And, and that's probably gonna be coded as basically a social pass. I may be proven wrong on that, but that's my initial feeling. Um, so I, I don't know that I would rely on that. Yeah, like you don't think that they're gonna like almost, like that that will help you get citizenship in those places. Like I think it might, and again, this is just my initial thought from some of the programs like the Thailand program, is that they will, it'll be like a different coding where you're not really an immigrant. So for example, in the United States, the, the trick to uh, coming to the United States and, uh, in, in a, and live part of the year in a tax optimized fashion is the E2 visa. Only certain passports qualify for it, but you can come into the US and if you keep your days under a certain number, you're, it's a non-immigrant visa. You're not liable for tax. Whereas a green card, for example, is an immigrant uh, visa. You're liable for tax immediately, the same as a U.S. citizen. Uh, and so, I look at it as perhaps they're going to, you know, they would code this as something like the E2. Hey, come and run your business. Be here as long as you want. If you're here too long, we're going to tax you. Now, these countries may have a tax exemption because they don't you know. We'll see. Um, but 
you know, you're not going to be on some track to citizenship. Mm. Now, what do people need to do in order to kind of get the process started, right? Like, let's say that you have identified the country that you can go for, you know, the one that, you know, whether it's from descent or one that you have identified that you can, you know, buy or, or whatever, that's the right fit for you. Do you need to hire someone? Can you do it yourself? What are the benefits of hiring someone? I know that, that is something that you guys do. Um, yeah. Like, walk us through that process. Well, yeah, again, obviously I'm, I'm somewhat biased, not even being in the business, but you know, working with the folks that we work with, they don't want to be spending time you know, tracking this down. Um, what I would say is there are lots of options out there. Now, sometimes I'm talking to people who imagine there must be some option where I can invest next to nothing, never even go there. You know, like it's like you have to put in a little something. It's like dating. I tell people, like, imagine it's like, you know, dating a woman or dating anyone, right? You know, if you just walk up to someone on the street, they're probably not going to go home with you right away. Right. right? You got to put little, in some work. <laughs> a little, you know, get a little something going right, before. And so sometimes people think there's too many options, but I think generally, you know, if you're saying, Hey, you know what, this Mexico thing sounds pretty good. You're probably missing a lot of options, which is the kind of the value that I think we try to provide is going through all of them, including programs that we create you know, explicitly for people who hire us. But, um, you know, can you do citizenship by just saying it yourself? Yeah, I mean, if you're willing to um, to deal with the frustration, the back and forth, the bureaucracy, and I really, one day, that's the business that I'm in is bureaucracy. And you know what bureaucrats do? Uh, they're very unpredictable. <laughs> and so if you're willing to deal with that, then I think you can do citizenship by descent. Certainly in some of these Latin countries, people go and hire fixers, for example, who run around and take them to various offices. Um, you know, if you can get a freelancer visa, I suppose, you know, in Europe, there's a lot of requirements generally. But if you can just make your way through the list, I, I think anything is easy and nothing is easy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what I would look at is one of the immigration requirements, is there going to be a tax requirement? And, you know, what's the timeline? And uh, from there, you can make a decision. Yeah, I think like one of the benefits of working with someone uh, like yourself would be like to have somebody to like solve all those problems for you. Because, I mean, I've dealt with like some Bulgarian, you know, where I've had to take out like my, like re like print my passport or like get my identification card. And I've just like almost been driven crazy by the bureaucracy and the, like, the, you know, they don't make it easy on you for whatever reason. So I think that like, if you do have the money to like hire somebody that knows the system, you know, has maybe done it once or twice before it just makes life a lot easier and you don't have to spend a lot of time and, and headache getting it done. Um, yeah. I mean, if you can do Ireland, if you're like if you're Irish, so I mean if you have a citizenship by descent and you're Irish, or your father's Canadian, you probably don't need a lot of help with that. Now, if you just want help and we have people where they're like, I hate any, I'm allergic to paperwork, all right, you know, you can hire someone. Uh, if someone called me and said, Andrew, all I need is help with Canadian citizenship for my father, mm-hmm. you probably wouldn't take that person. It's not really a very robust. It's uh, too case. straightforward almost. If they're like, I also need it because I'm going to get it. And once I'm, once I'm Canadian, I'm renouncing my U.S. citizenship because I'm sick of the country and the taxes are through the roof and I want to go live in Dubai and they won't let me do that. And like this, that, the other, then we'll do it as a holistic thing. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, that's something you would probably do on your own. But yeah, I mean, when you get to some of these countries where uh, it's more bureaucratic, you know, you might want to find someone. And then it's, it's also a question, you're right, of, you know, um, even I get frustrated with people, which is why I've trained a team on how to do this. Because yeah, it, it's frustrating to hear the Bulgarian guy. You just want to, you just want to hear it the way you want to hear it. But you know, it's a decision everyone can make for themselves. Sure. So let's talk a little bit about the benefits on the other side, right? Like, let's say you've gone through this process. 
uh, or you're about to embark on this process that can be difficult, that can be time intensive, money intensive. What are the benefits that people can look forward to on the other side that maybe we haven't touched on yet? Well, I think number one, it's a personal freedom, right? I think you always want to have options. I think what we're seeing is uh, some countries are getting out of hand. They're restricting your travel. Um, you know, some countries aren't letting you out. Some countries, you know, the passport has become worthless. And so I think this whole COVID situation has been a wake-up call for who knows what can happen. But also look at the situation where, and, and I've had folks tell me before, um, they left Bulgaria to go to the United States, and now they feel like they maybe they did it wrong. They gave up Bulgarian to become American, and they, they feel like today they would have done the reverse. Um, you know, the world changes. And so being prepared, you know, one of the big things that we um, focus on is from a financial perspective, if you're a U.S. citizen, you're going to be taxed, you're going to be regulated, you're going to be filing tax returns and reports and reporting your foreign companies, reporting your foreign bank accounts for as long as you're a U.S. citizen. It doesn't matter. I, I spent years outside of the U.S., not one day back in the country. I had to do all that stuff. Uh, and it's not just a matter of taxes, because you can dramatically reduce the amount of taxes that you pay being overseas, but it's an issue of when the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act came out, people in the UK who were already paying a boatload of taxes suddenly had an additional tax from the US because the tax system of the US never plays nicely with other countries' tax systems. Mm -hmm. So some people say, you know what, I either want a plan B citizenship to where if it ever becomes too difficult, I'm going to bail on the US, or I'm just going to do it right now. Now, I think other countries are going to start to do that. We've seen Canada, Australia, France, uh, and others. Uh, China is doing it. China is taxing their own citizens living in Hong Kong now. Uh, South Africa is basically talking about it, and they're moving in that direction. So imagine, you know, you're Canadian, and as a member of parliament saying, you know, if you go live in Dubai, you should still pay us. Mm -hmm. I think it's an insurance policy against the financial policies, because look at what's happening with the whole COVID situation. You know, look at what's happening where, I mean, these countries are taking out trillions of dollars, $11 trillion, I think, is the global number, and growing on how much money is invented. Look at what's happened to the U.S. dollar just in the last month. I mean, it's been in a free fall against major currencies. And so how do you think they're going to fix that? Well, do you think that the tiny percentage of people who live overseas and live tax-friendly lifestyles, running businesses on e-commerce, are very politically, uh, you know, uh, uh, sympathetic? No, they're not. So they'll say, you know what, we're going to tax you. And I think you can see more countries doing that to make up the money because nobody will care. And so if I'm Canadian or Australian or whatever else, I'm going to want an insurance policy gets my government coming to me to pay for the bill. Forget raising taxes domestically. They're going to make it to where you can't even leave and go and live somewhere else the way Americans have had it for years. And so I think for me, that's the big reason. Obviously, again, you know, speaking to people who are high owners and, and have a high wealth, I think wealth taxes are another thing that they'll introduce. But... Uh, you know, freedom of travel. I'll also give you one reason that was for me. I just didn't like being American. And I never liked using an American passport to get into countries. I always felt, you know, people were judging me and that. It's hard to open bank accounts. Certain investments you can't make if you're in the crypto business. A lot of people don't want Americans. So, you know, it's just a matter of having a, the, the choice. I mean, you have the choice, right? You can be Bulgarian, you can be American. You, you're at home in two cultures and you can benefit from both cultures. And being Bulgarian, you have the whole European Union. So, uh, I think it's just about having options because governments are going to become increasingly crazy and um, you want a protection against that. And by, and by the way, I'll tell you one more thing. I have people who come to me and say, you know, uh, I'm Canadian, but I want my kids to be able to grow up in Europe. And I want, them to, I want them to be able to go to schools in Europe and have that lifestyle and have the option. And I don't want to have to rely on what would be the policies then. 
I want my kids to have an option to, to work and study. By the way, I had a couple of guys who renounced that came back to the U.S. and gave birth to their kids because if you're born in the U.S., you're a U.S. citizen. So they wanted their kids to be able to grow up with a formerly American father and then be able to go back and work if they wanted to. So um, that's also you know, something that's important. Yeah, and I mean, I think just in general, having multiple citizenships like does make you literally a global citizen. You know, like mm. you start, I think the way that you start thinking is different. You know, like you uh, suddenly can make investments in other countries, right? Like you can kind of participate in, in different parts of the world. And sure. I think also having citizenship and being able to spend longer amounts of time in different places does make you open to, this is something that I've talked with friends before is like, some of the things that are discussed on the fringe don't happen back home. You know what I mean? Like these, like I have a friend who heard about Bitcoin very early on because he was in like Bangkok and there were people who were discussing it and he got in early on it, right? Made lots of money from it. These were discussions that weren't having that, you know, people right. weren't having back in the US. So it kind of opens you up to new things. Most people who live where they're from, I mean, it's not a very intentional lifestyle necessarily. I mean, certainly mm -hmm. I'd say everyone who lives where they're from is not living intentionally, but when you force yourself to be out in a different environment and you force this to open up, you know, one thing I talk about when people say, what's the first step to becoming a global citizen? I say, go open a bank account in some other country, even if it's $1, because you're going to then not only go there and see how it's not as bad as you thought it was. I, you know, speaking of Armenia, I've sent a few friends there and they said, this place isn't nearly as bad as I thought it would be. This is actually pretty nice. And then you'll go and you'll log on six months later. You'll remember you put $100 there and you'll see the $100 is still there. And you'll say, oh, that's interesting. This isn't, you know, my money hasn't been, hasn't evaporated. And I think when you look at dual citizenship, now you have two options. You know, how many people, uh, when they have a relationship that's not serving them, they feel stuck because they don't have another, they don't know where to go next, mm -hmm. right? And how many people feel stuck in their own country or they feel that, you know, the government's becoming more oppressive. They feel they can't go where they want. They can't do what they want. They can't work where they want. I mean, your citizenship is what defines so many important aspects of your life. And so if you don't have two options, you're always stuck with one. And I think there's a, just, when you get that first, second passport, there's a great sense of now I can really choose my path. It doesn't matter that, you know, Trump said this or this guy said that, and now I have some options. And I think you start thinking bigger as well. Like you stop paying attention to the, like the, micro things you know right well and so my big thing is don't stay and fight um go where you're treated best those are the five magic words right go where you're treated best and so for me if something is not serving me i'm not going to stay and fix it. i mean the united states for example you've got 330 million people your vote is the drop in the ocean it makes no difference and you know, how, how, for our entire lives, people have been saying, you know, this next election, it's the most important election in our life. This is going to determine the future of everything. And they just, I mean, how long do you have to get to sit around? I watch some of these guys, um, you know, who, who are angry that, you know, they can't find women to date them in their community, or they're angry about this, or they're angry about that, or they're angry about Obama, or they're angry about Trump. You know, when you have multiple citizenships, when you have options around the world, you can go and date women in the best places where, you know, to date women. I promise you there's a place where you'll find women or men who get along with you. I promise you there's a place where you will feel like you fit in. I promise you there's a place where they share your values. Uh, because places like Bulgaria, Georgia, that they've seen 
what happens when you go down the road. Some of these Western countries are going down. They don't want to go there anymore, right? And so um, you can find what you're looking for anywhere. And I think so many people, they wave the flag because they don't have another option. They don't know how to get another option. And this is all they have. And they have to stand. This is the hill they must die on. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't want to be dying on the hill. I just want peace and calm in my life. Um, I just want to go where I'm treated best. Yeah. You mentioned um, kind of in, in wrapping up, you mentioned bank accounts. And that's something that I've always been kind of curious about. Do you need to have a citizenship in another country to open up a bank account? Or can you just open up a bank account in any country without having citizenships there? Not every country. A lot of uh, countries, developed countries, number one, the brand name countries, Switzerland, for example, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they're not interested in opening right. an account for 5,000 Swiss francs, right? No thanks. Um, I talk about countries, I mean, Georgia and Armenia have been two that really come to mind. I guess Ecuador is also on the list. Um, there's others that are much less efficient where you can just go and you can open an account. They generally accept Americans. They generally accept non-residents. The minimum is not that high. You don't need a great level of sophistication, right? Um, and so those are places where you can go. Now, having a citizenship will generally help you. We didn't talk a lot about the citizenship by investment programs like St. Lucia, where you donate $100,000. If I went to St. Lucia and opened a bank account, I would have an easier time perhaps than you would because they do have a banking sector mm -hmm. there and offer a banking sector. But um, you know, I know people who got an Antiguan citizenship just to be able to open a bank account there. Not sure why they wanted the bank account there, but they weren't living there. And so the bank said, well, you know, you're not really a citizen for like what we would consider a citizen, right? Um, now, if you get a Bulgarian citizenship, yeah, you can probably have a pretty good chance because they just, they just want to see that you're a citizen, you've got a tax ID number, here's your account. Um, but to, to answer your question, you can open bank accounts in countries where you're not a citizen, but increasingly you've got a lot of countries where they want you to be a resident or they want you to have some connection, you want to own a mm -hmm. property um, because they, they're responsible for who's coming through there. Um, there's a big thing a couple of years ago where Latvia was cracking down on a lot of bank account holders overseas because the U.S. was cracking down on the Latvian Central Bank. The Latvian Central Bank was cracking down on their banks because Russians were putting their money there. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to be in that situation. And so they're going to say, all right, if you have a million dollars, most banks will be interested. But if you're coming in with 10 grand, they're going to think to themselves, we don't know why this guy is here. We don't need any trouble. They don't want to take the risk for that small amount of money, essentially. Yeah, they, yeah, right. I mean, so like in Singapore, for example, almost a decade ago, I opened an account with about 700 bucks. That same account now is um, close to 50 grand. And even then, it's mm -hmm. kind of iffy. The real requirement for most banks now is about 140,000 US dollars to get in because then they can, it's worth doing the due diligence, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's worth looking into you, you know, in Switzerland, Liechtenstein, Luxembourg, it might be half a million euros for Swiss francs, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it's all about what they're willing to accept. And so that's why when people are saying, I want the easiest bank account, you want to go to a country that's, that's looking to attract capital. And the same thing is true of citizenship, by the way. If you're looking for a citizenship with a lower you know, tax commitment, a lower time commitment, you know, you're probably not becoming a citizen of, of uh, you know, the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. They don't need to give it. I mean, they, they don't need, you know what I mean? Just like Swiss banks right. are desperate for business, the Netherlands isn't desperate for new citizens who, can, who contribute, you know, nothing, right? I mean... But some countries are. Mm -hmm. What about something like a transfer-wise, for example, that you can? It's you're technically not really opening a bank account, but you can hold multiple currencies. What's your opinion on that? Like transfer-wise balances. Yeah, people use mm -hmm. those. Um, I guess I have one transfer-wise balance. Um, 
it is interesting how you're seeing all these different, you know, fintech and solutions like TransferWise come up. Um, you know, here's my thought on that. Um, you saw what happened when uh, Wirecard went down. All these fintech services that relied on Wire, Wirecard's infrastructure went down. They said, oh, use another card. And how many people didn't have another card? I want to be in control of my money. And so whether that's in gold, whether that's in crypto, whether that's in cash, in the bank account, whatever it may be, you know, putting it in TransferWise. I just, I, I use, I love TransferWise for sending money. Um, actually, I have a bank uh, in Singapore where the spreads are even lower. But for most occasions, uh, TransferWise is pretty good. But the other day, I looked at one of the, my, my incoming transfers from TransferWise and said, oh, you know, we had our money in OCBC Bank. Okay, well, you know, their money is just in a bank and they have a lot more money than is the limit. Um, I, don't, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if they're buying extra insurance, but I think on their website it says, you know, if the bank goes out of business, you know, you're out of luck. Um, so, you know, I'd rather have the money in my bank account than in someone else's bank account, right? If it's sitting in a bank account, let it be mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what you're saying is like, it's not the same thing. Like opening up a transferwise account and then having money in like euros and then in like another currency, it's not the same thing as actually having a bank account. I mean, for me, banking overseas, again, it's, it's, a, it's part of diversification. And so it's mm-hmm. part of you know, the same reason you might hold gold, crypto, you know, cash in an envelope, whatever, is you're protecting yourself and your assets from whatever could happen. You're protecting yourself from, you know, Maybe you diversify to a different fiat currency. Maybe you want to go to a country like an Armenia that pays much higher interest rates, et cetera. You're not like getting into any of that in transferwise. What transferwise I think is good for is, and I recently bought an apartment in Serbia. I did not have the amount of money sitting around in euros that I needed to pay for the apartment in Serbia. And so it's one where we can kind of stack up money at favorable exchange rates. I mean, the euro is down, uh, is up against the US dollar, you know, 5% because I bought it and it was up 5% when I bought it. So. Had I bought it at the lowest point, if I didn't have a bank account that would let me keep euros, I could have moved it from my whatever bank account in dollars or whatever into the euros, stored it until I needed it, and then spent it. For me, that's more what it's about rather than some long-term, just aimless, you know, savings. Gotcha. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for coming back on. I really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Uh, let people know, you know, if this is something that they're interested in and they like, kind of like qualify to be a client, where they can they find out more about you? Uh, where can they find out more about this topic if they're interested? Well, the first thing I would do, and I brought it here, was the book, Nomad Capitalist. Um, this is not going to give you an exact plan for your own personal situation. There's a lot of ideas in here. We talk more about citizenship, what's possible, what's not. Um, so I would start with the book. It's on Amazon. Um, and then I would start with the YouTube channel, the blog. We have over 3,000 pieces of free content. And if you've done all that and you like the vibe and you see what's possible and you think you can do it, um, you can go to nomadcapitalist.com. You know, we do work with about 100 people a year. Um, as I said, um, you know, it's, it's mostly you know, high net worth, up to ultra high net worth individuals. Um, unfortunately, I can't help everyone. But, you know, I hope that... There's a lot of free resources or cheap resources that you can use no matter where you are, um, you know, to figure out your plan. Yeah, I can testify. The book is great. I have it. I watched the YouTube video. So I would definitely recommend that people go and check it out. And uh, Andrew, thanks, man. And uh, all the best. Appreciate it. Always great to be here.